Greetings and hello everybody. I'm Gerd Leonhardt, futurist in Zurich, Switzerland. It is Gerd Talks again. I think this is number 14, where we have conversations with great people uh, and talk about the important topics. And it's GerdTalks.com for the other shows. Uh, today I'm really happy to have Anders Inset with me. Uh, Anders and me met recently again, I think, at an event called uh, Future Tense in beautiful Croatia and Zagreb. And when I was listening to his talk, I realized how much overlap we have in the conversation about the future, uh, the way that Anders is presenting it and the way that I present it. Um, and it's really interesting because Anders is from Norway originally. He lives in Germany now, so many of his talks are available online. I think it's andersinset.com, right? Uh, the website. And of course, he's on YouTube, but many of those are in German. And uh, of course, I am German, but my sort of native language these days is pretty much English all the way through. So we're going to do the show first in English and some other time in the future we'll, we'll try to do the same in, in German as well. So um, Anders has a great story on what he calls the quantum economy. And Anders uses a word for his uh, attack for his work called the business philosopher, which is very interesting because I thought about doing, uh, rather than being a futurist, is to be a business philosopher uh, as well. So there's a, a more overlap. Uh, the book, The Quantum Economy, I think is actually two or three years old, right, Anders? It's four years. I think Some, I wrote it back in four, 2018. Four so it came out in 2019. So we're now in uh, the, the fifth year, basically, since I wrote it. Yeah. It's also very interesting because you're using a word that I use a lot in English, which is the mensch, the human, uh, which is not really an English word, but it's widely used in sort of Yiddish uh, American English. Um, but the mensch is a really great word for human, uh, encomp encompassing all of the humans. Um, and uh, Anders is also has been listed at the Thinkers 50, the Oscars of management thinking, supposedly. Uh, really interesting. I should take another look at that. And he has a lot of philosophy to share. So why don't we get going, Anders, just briefly tell people what are you up to and what is the quantum economy? Sure. Um, thank you, Gert. I'm happy to be with you. And uh... Yeah, I wrote, as you said, I wrote the book back in 2018 and I started to think about what could be a future potential scenario of the economy. Um, I see the economy as the operating system of our society. Um, if you talk about a social, um, ecological market economy, it becomes social if, if the economy is running and there's something to divide and share and, and to invest. And I think also the challenges in terms of ecology is basically when the economy and ecology become synergetic. So I started to think about, you know, what are the implications of exponential technologies, mainly coming from a quantum background. Um, I've been curious about quantum tech and I've invested in quantum tech in the past. And um, I saw kind of sort of the development of AI um, evolving into that um, exponential speed of change that we are today seeing on an operating level and also in the economy in general. And I, I thought about, you know, what would be the future of the economy uh, as in comparison to a lot of the narratives that were talked about, about sustainability to reduce, to limit, to uh, talk about it as a crisis and to have that negative flair on um, how to look at the economy. Um, so I went back and I, I, I realized that a lot of um, um, the theoretical frameworks of quantum physics was also based on a lot of inspiration from Buddhism and Eastern philosophy. Um, it was also about the relationship to us as human beings. We are also quantum entities, right? So we are part of 
the most fundamental definition that we have for modern physics, which is quantum theory or quantum mechanic. And um, I saw that there are a lot of similarities to how we operate. So a human being is not, at least if we look at it from a non-physical standpoint, predictable uh, in everything we do. So there is a dynamic to it. And also we tend to talk about the economy in terms of finite structures like winning and losing, uh, absolute results. And we talk about knowledge and, and the absolutism, I think, is a big challenge for today's world. So I took a more dynamic view of things. And I, I said, of course, yeah, we have to reduce our consumption. Uh, I think, you know, at least from a Western standpoint, there is a lot to do in that field still in terms of a conscious um, or a better understanding, must I say, of the challenges that are ahead. And uh, obviously, there is something next to reduce, which is called reuse, um, uh, building a circular economy or even looking at regenerative approaches. And uh, I think that is something that has become the narrative that it has to become sustainable and we, we haven't really defined sustainability. I mean, from a physical standpoint, based on entropy, I think, you know, we could say that uh, the universe itself is not sustainable at the end of the day, but uh, we want to be around a couple of years still. So I think there are a lot of things that we can do. But I think, you know, from an economical standpoint, at the end of the day, what we refer to today as sustainability is basically efficiency of uh, the usage of resources. So that means that if you want to make money in the future, you have to be efficient. And I think that the whole, you know, thinking about circular economies and also the regenerative approaches that we suck plastic out of the ocean or, you know, have a big vacuum cleaner that, that cleans up the CO2 and you make money out of carbon um, capturing. Those are things that basically are, are new business models. But at, at the core, I think people, uh, companies that... Um, you know, have to, they have to be efficient with the resources. It's EBIT, it's making money. So reduce, yes, reuse, yes. But I think the core to me was to rethink how we do the economy. We, you know, have decided to make categories. We thought about impact investment and social business, but the challenge is capitalism at its core. So if capitalism is not including the human being or the mensch, and the planet, the resources that we have, then it's obviously a finite model. So how can we think about, you know, capitalism and the business um, as something potential, a potentiality of potential futures? How can we think about, you know, economy and leadership and management as something infinite? So I um, read this book from a theologist back in the 80s called Finite and Infinite Games. And I started to relate that uh, physical view of the capitalism and the business world, what I call the art of being right, how to optimize, how to maximize zeros and ones, your opinion, my opinion, black and white, everything is optimized to one finite solution. And I sort of think about it in an infinite terms. And I saw many similarities also to my understanding of quantum theory. And there are many things that we can get into how that relates. But mostly it was about the potential of quantum technologies in relationship to us, uh, humble individuals, you know, the mensch, the human being. And that's what I started to, to reflect on a new way of upgrading capitalism to a more humane capitalism. And, and that was the core of the quantum economy. Uh, later, the World Economic Forum has also adapted the quantum economy, but they see it only from a technical standpoint. And, and I'm a strong believer of technology. I'm a, you know, I would say a tech, technology utopianist. I think, um, 
the things that we have to do is to believe in progress in technology. I'm a strong believer in scientific optimism and, and progress in technology. But I'm also a strong believer in growth. And when I say growth, I talk about human growth and how we as human beings through education can get a better understanding of the problems. So um, the quantum economy is an infinite model where I believe in infinite progress, that infinite progress is possible. And instead of having finite solutions, I talk about creating better problems. So it's all about positive progress for humanity. And that I want to bake into um, how we do business and the capitalistic model in general, because I think capitalism is a working model. Um, it has given us, you know, a lot more peace, a um, lot more prosperity, um, you know, less people die in wars, um, the, the poverty rate has gone down. But it seems to be the way we interpreted it back in the 70th with, um, you know, famous German um, saying the prosperity for all was basically um, a optimization game that seems to have some limits. So now it's time you know, to think about it in, in infinite terms and to upgrade capitalism. And um, even Dalai Lama um, quoted and said, you know, capitalism is the working model, but it needs compassion. So I think that educational part of including the mensch moving from a knowledge society to a society of understanding is on the one side the core of the of the uh, quantum economy and on the other side obviously it's a belief that technologies in future will be able to help us and do a lot more things to help us to strive and also to uh, tackle some of the challenges ahead one is obviously energy and i think um, within the next 10 to 15 years, as we have seen now with uh, knowledge and intelligence that the marginal cost, you know, plunges towards zero and become democratized. I think also through technology, we can create a world uh, if we invest in these technologies um, that where we can have energy, um, marginal cost of energy also move towards zero and, and basically um, enable um, poor regions and, and challenges that and unlock the potential of technology to serve humanity as a whole and come up with completely new solutions of how to tackle climate, how to tackle, you know, the geopolitical tension, how to tackle, um, you know, the prosperity for regions that today live in these regions where they strive towards the same level of, um, of uh, you know, prosperity that the Western affluent regions have made. So that is the vision of the quantum economy. We have set up a small global initiative, um, thequantumeconomy.com, where we focus on quantum goods and services, basically, you know, the tangible business models within the quantum economy. Um, one part is what we call quantum organizations, how leadership and organizational structures will be in the future with decentralization and you know, the po possibilities of technology and how we work with technology in the future, also with AI. And um, the third one is basically uh, what we call quantum human. So quantum human is uh, an initiative that is also detached from the quantum economy. We look at the relationship between technology and um, human beings in future. How do we, uh, what will happen if we merge? We look at various scenarios um, in terms of what is identity, what is consciousness, and we are building an institution um, to do research and publications in that field. And the fourth one is um, the whole economic model um, where we talk about quantum economics, money, um, and how that 
uh, exchange and, and how the economic systems will be in future. So there are four focus areas. And we have also started to tap into a separate project with, which uh, we uh, look at from a decentralized science perspective where we use um, various um, you know, um, approaches that has been used today in tokenomics and to look at you know, how can we democratize and decentralize scientific approaches to get more people involved um, as the next way will obviously be the challenge to have people work within the field of quantum without having a quantum uh, physics degree um, and, and to build business models and also structures and solutions on top of uh, these complex underlying um, fundamental understandings of physics. So, um, you know, you have hardware, software, you have the interfaces. There are a lot of things to do. And, and how can we start now to educate people how to exploit the potentials of that to create a better future? So the quantum economy is a humane capitalism built on the belief that we don't, you know, solve problems. We work and strive for better problems. Uh, and my underlying um, belief is that you know human beings want to be positive, and I I want to take a positive approach because I think the incentives for change are much stronger than just solely limiting and regulating and screaming crisis. So I'm a I'm a positivist um, per choice. I choose optimism uh, and I choose hard work. So I I think you know we, if we really put our effort into working hard and trying to figure these things out, I think uh, with a humane. Um, operating system, a capitalistic model that I call the quantum economy, then I think we can tackle a lot of these challenges. So that's a short um, introduction to to the quantum economy. And, and obviously, you can talk a lot about um, all the other things that I'm working on at the moment. So uh, yeah, I hope that gives you okay. a good um, short overview of what I see as the quantum economy. Great. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's really amazing how many things we have in common there. Because uh, first, you know, the belief in technology as being powerful a solution and solving things, you know, we have that in common. But then also the humanism, which is to say it has to have human purpose and not just human, but planetary purpose, uh, you know, beyond uh, riches and so on. Uh, and, and third, the belief in, uh, uh, the, in the fact that we have to move from this sort of limited capitalism into the sustainable capitalism, as Al Gore called it. I call that people, planet, profit and prosperity, uh, prosperity and, and purpose. Uh, the four Ps. I'll talk more about that later. But there's a lot of overlaps there. And I think one of the key things, you know, I've been giving at least, I don't know, 250 or so keynotes on this topic in the last five years. And one of the key things I keep realizing is that as long as we don't change the economic model that underlies everything, whether it's climate or energy or education or work or, you know, then we're, we're always coming back to the spot to where we're expecting that old economic thinking to work, you know, which is primarily about growth and profit. Uh, but it's, it's timing out, right? It's at the top of its usefulness. And I always say that capitalism as we know it is unfit for the future because it doesn't have enough of an inclusive view of what is important. And again, that's also not new. Bobby Kennedy, 1973, right, said GDP measures everything except that which makes our life worthwhile. Um, and that's not new, but it's, it's coming to, to a header now because of COVID, another globalization discussion, and of course, energy and the war. Now we're getting to the point where we are openly questioning whether the system will actually bring us a good future. And that's part of my 
uh, you know, very parallel paths that you've taken. Now, I read that some of your stuff, um, and I've been reading your book, and also some of the things that you publish online. Um, you were talking about a new enlightenment, right? uh, a, a new renaissance of thinkers, which also is parallel to my debate about the, uh, the new human renaissance, as I call it. So what do you mean with an, uh, a new enlightenment? This is like uh, harking back to Martin Luther or, you know, enlightenment in the sense of a new understanding of the world or, you know, what is that new enlightenment? Yeah, I mean, of course, you could go out like Martin and just, you know, take that uh, step and just throw down the laws and just march ahead and try to, I think there's a re-enlightenment. Um, if I look at, I was thinking about the other day and I see that there are, there are two um are two structures that um, were set for a united world. One was um, the Greek god Zeus, who set out to, to build the torch of Olympia, the Olympic Games, right? To, to connect the world through play and games. And the other one was uh, the Academy of Plato. Um, two visions, um, two and a half, three thousand years ago, that set out to to educate the world, to unite the world. And and for Olympia, I see the torch still burning. But I see from educational standpoint, what we have done is basically to build an educational system that represents the hierarchical structures of wars, of you know the whole uh, academia is built around pyramids of structures and absolutism and and we talked about the knowledge society in the 1990s everyone you know talking about how to, to to educate workers for the knowledge society so i think people that got an education in the 90s wake up today to an artificial intelligence that is the best representation of human knowledge so we see that the socratic logic um you know how to guess the next word if you get all the data and all the information there is some underlying simple structure to how we operate. So if you're good at asking questions, if you know what you're talking about, then obviously today GBT and all these models is a, is a great helpful tool and, and that will be a lot better. So we are not looking for knowledge workers. We are looking for people that have a deeper understanding. So we are moving from... Can I, can I, jump, can I sure. jump in there for a yeah. second, Andres? You know, there, there's a lot of debate about this right now. I have a, a colleague in Futurism circles, uh, Bill, William Halal, Bill Halal, who published a recent book on, he calls it Beyond Knowledge. Uh, it's an interesting angle because it says the same thing, and I've, I've been saying that as well, saying we have to move beyond this kind of logical component of information, you know, data information that, that we download, because that's what computers can do now. So computers have a kind of binary knowledge, you know, uh, zeros and ones, as you can see in ChatGPT. It's not intelligent in that sense, but it is infinitely binary. Everything is in there. You know? um, in, if we move on this sort of pyramid towards further, then, then after the binary knowledge and, and data, we get to understanding. Right? Understanding is much more plastic, much more inclusive. Right? So I, is, is that kind of the same message that you have there? Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think GBT and, and, and general AI uh, can do a lot in reasoning and, and self-learning mechanisms show that uh, you can obviously go beyond our human capacities in many fields. But uh, mm -hmm. we, we started to, to educate experts and, and all of a sudden we thought, you know, why, why the hell this technology now uh, attack the experts and not the cheap, simple jobs that we created. And that is obvious because right. in those fields, we have all the data. You know, in, in um, law studies, in med medical studies, we have a lot of data, data points. And we have what, what we human beings call knowledge. We have created the best possible explanation uh, of the world. And, and all of these are built on assumptions. So everything we know today 
is the answer of a question that someone has asked. So our path as a human humanities is to strive for better explanations. And, and it isn't given that technology will not give us better explanation. Of course it will. But there should be some part that remain human. So if we decide that there are things that we want to do, then we shouldn't put it in technology. So if we want to play the piano, we shouldn't automate it. I mean, I think theoretically speaking, most of the things that we do, um, the things that we can um, talk about, everything that we have a concept and idea about, can theoretically be put into technology. So it's the unknown. It's, it's what goes beyond uh, that is the progress, the positive progress or the better explanation that we have still a potential to tap into. And, and that to me um, is very difficult to relate back to an educational model where we have absolutism and we learn subjects of the best explanation of the past because they are now mm -hmm. given to us for free. So um, intelligence, the, the marginal cost of intelligence or knowledge now plunks towards zero, as I mentioned before. And I think that that is to realize um, to me, it was obvious because, um, I mean, if you think about, you know, the, how we process data, it, it's very simple how, how these machines, if you start to look at how, um, you know, Alpha Zero played chess or all these games, and you realize that this is basically also how we have gathered knowledge. And then there is something, um, call it something that is relevant, what it means to be a human being or a mensch, and, and something that is progress, something that is creativity, something that can help us you know, move to, to different paths and different solutions. And technology will do that as well. But I think uh, from an educational standpoint, it is about um, teaching people how to learn. So we have to learn how to learn, learn how to adapt, learn how to navigate more generalistic than learn how to save data. Right now we measure people how good they are at saving data for one hour. And, and regardless if we link our brain and merge with technology, um, basically I think that the capacity um, to learn is a fundamental understanding on, 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 on that you as a human being are curious and you want to move forward. You want to, you're not interested in discussions where you try to, um, to, to, to dominate and win. You are interested in learning. So the whole essence of moral frameworks, how to get along, how to have discussions, how to work in teams, how to collaborate, how to move into an analytical mindset, how to um, take decisions, how to be pro something, all of these things that are also found in philosophical reasoning and philosophical various schools schools, those things, I think, become relevant. So a practical, applicable philosophy becomes much more valuable from an educational standpoint than to learn how to save data. I'm not saying that... I agree yeah. with you on this. I think the, um, the challenge is, you know, Jeffrey Hinton, the guy that used to work for Google, AI scientist, you know, just said last week in an interview that he came to understand that the AI has a much better, more efficient way to learn binary facts and information than we do. Yeah. Right? Um, and what we are much better in is to learn things that are not binary, multinary, or if you wish, or, uh, or confusing, or ephemeral, or you know, not fixed. Uh, and he, he said, and I think it was an interesting point uh, other people have said before, until we have quantum computing, the com computers can't really go beyond the zeros and ones like humans do all the time. Uh, and that is what, what we we do, right? We make decisions based on a pretty murky understanding of many things and of a 360 degree of the world. And I always say in my speeches that I believe that a computer or an AI 
has at maximum a 3 to 5% understanding of the real world based on limitless data. But everything else of that we immediately understand the computer doesn't have. So, uh, for example, meaning, right? purpose, uh, imagination, intuition, you know, that this is all really difficult stuff for a machine because it's not based on just zeros and ones. Uh, and when we have machines that can go beyond zeros and ones, maybe we can have machines that can do this much better. Yeah, but, but this is part of the underlying debate about the economic model. You know, I think what's really happening is that computers are learning how to do routine things that we used to do much better than we are, as long as they are, you know, total routine, like calculating, filing, organizing, finding, you know, that sort of thing. And that will change our job markets, especially for knowledge workers. And imagine if the entire uh, knowledge universe of the world is available, like Tom Cruise and Minority Report, we just pull it out and throw it on the wall, you know, using Apple ProVision glasses or whatever. You know, that, that will change absolutely everything. But it will not change, I don't think, the way that we process and use information to derive at values or at wisdoms or at understanding, because understanding isn't binary. And I, I think this is the, the important thing to understand, and this is why I'm not so worried about the future of work, because A, maybe we don't need as much work in the future when the computers are doing the heavy lifting, things become a lot cheaper. Uh, and B, maybe we can derive other jobs that only humans can do on top of that, that machines do. Um, and I think this is a very big debate to be had. Yeah, I mean, uh, I hope you're right. <laughs> but if I can play with it, I mean, I think that, um, yes, there is a lot of things that, that, that are work that we could put into technology. But how the economy works is basically say that, well, we used to outsource knitting shoes for Adidas to Bangladesh. And then there were a lot of jobs created. They moved out of poverty and had some kind of middle class. And now there is a backshoring and uh, the shoes are fully automated. There is no people working in the production anymore. So the question becomes then, you know, um, do we think that the profitable margin would skyrocket? Or do you think there is a competitive market where automation drives the cost down and you will be in a competitive market where you will not be able to hire people anymore? That's, for many industries, a huge challenge. So I, I think and hope that we will come up with a lot of ideas and, and, and as for the moment, uh, I think there's a lack of workers in, in at least in the Western world. Uh, so, so it looks pretty nice that we think we can there can be a good efficiency uh, increase and we can have prosperity. But I think in the long term, it's very difficult to see how uh, the competitiveness will not lead to less need of human beings. So I think there's a challenge. And, and to the other point, point um, I, I, I when I play with GBT and and and, and AI. I find it very, very fascinating how it seems to be reasoning. So if you're good at you know, structuring your questioning and, and seeing patterns, um, then it becomes almost like magic how you're talking to a people, person of such a knowledge that can help you sort your thoughts. So I think there are a lot of, of people talk about this and, and I think there is an underlying simplicity to language and to our logic that is very easy to mimic. And you also talked about, you know, the games um, that all of a sudden, you know, Alpha Zero taught itself how to play chess and then outplay the human. Uh, and, 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 and you see that 
the way it played chess was very much different from hundreds of years or hundred years of theory. And all the ideas that were new were counterintuitive. So Stockfish, the most, you know, the strongest supercomputer had Alpha Zero um, evaluated and said it played moves that were losing, um, whereas Alpha Zero was sitting there thinking probably without a consciousness or whatever, uh, saying, I'm, I'm winning. So seven, eight moves down uh, the game, um, it had flipped. And Magnus Carlsen, the uh, world champion from Norway, he studied Alpha Zero and played Alpha Zero moves. And he said that he has no theory to back why he played like this. He just saw that Alpha Zero played like it and it started to win. But the interesting part here though is that we still play chess. We still fancy the game. Um, and, and there are, you know, different stories to be told here. Um, the famous uh, Go player um, that was unbeated, he stopped playing Go, Go because he said there's something more powerful than me, so it makes no sense. Whereas golf, uh, golf as a chess mm -hmm. is more popular than ever. Um, people play a lot of chess. So we fancy the game, we fancy the flaws. Uh, we are fantastic human beings. We are fantastic and we do failures. And um, the computers, they do a failure once because if there is a conscious entity, an observer that observes the error, it will get corrected. Whereas we are mm -hmm. very creative at doing stupid things. So we are fantastic. And I, I don't know if that is something that is, um, if you look at the world from a physicalist standpoint and we say that the universe is um, computable, it's built on math, then uh, it, it seems difficult to find scenarios where not everything is more efficient within technology. Um, which leads that us having to merge with it and coming up with some kind of alternate state of consciousness. But I think that right now uh, we can hope uh, there is something called the human being, something that's called mensch, something that is non-computable. But it's very difficult from a physical standpoint, uh, from a physical universe to argue if this is in fact real, uh, it's difficult to argue that there is no underlying computation. So our brain becomes a... Um, fluid, uh, fluffy quantum computer uh, that has flaws and limitations. But given that it's within a computable universe, it's also part of computation, which means we do not yet have knowledge on how to compute. But um, if there's something beyond physicalism, there is something that makes the mensch, the human being, that is... Um, you know, special and, and we anthropomorphize and put ourselves at the center of the universe and we are the only intelligent species and there is something that lies outside. There are a lot of philosophical questions that arises in a very interesting debate. But if you look at like the facts based on the simple anal analysis of AI today, it seems that we are overestimating our capacities because um, imagine three or four years, more data, more efficiency, stronger computers. It seems like this GBT and AI thing is really good at mimicking human beings. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I hope that there is a lot of you know, things that it can't do. But I'm not seeing it, uh, so I'm, I'm. Well, you know, yeah. my, my argument has been for a long time. If I can interrupt briefly, yeah, sure. that, You know, the the um, my argument has been for a long time. We may currently uh, understand the AI as being kind of almost like a human uh, in that because it's very good at simulation, right? Uh, and it can simulate being like us in every possible way: audio, video, text, images, and so on. But a simulation is not the same than what you simulate, right? So simulation of reasoning 
can be achieved by a computer, but just by learning how well you know you train to simulate the reasoning. Just like simulating love is not impossible, right? But simulating reasoning or love or wisdom or compassion is is not the same than being compassionate, right? It is it is essentially a simulation of it. So uh, this is a, number one. I think that computers are very good at at simulating. Um, but they don't have any understanding or connection to what it actually is. Number two, I would say that uh, if indeed everything that we are, that we do, can be explained by math and by science and by logic, then we may be at the point to where we have achieved, you know, level five of 1,000 right now, uh, to where we can explain it. And maybe in 50 years we have reached 1,000 of 1,000, and then we can explain everything about us as being math and logic and and science, that may be possible. But then the question to me is, if that is the case, you know, are we going to be choosing you know, what entities become like us or not uh, in that process? Because if we then merge with technology, then this is becoming one entity, which in my view is probably a very bad idea. So right now, I don't feel like we're anywhere close to computers understanding what humanness is all about. Um, in going beyond the sort of simple collating of facts and autocomplete. And, you know, it, it, it sounds amazing, but like in my work, you know, I often use these tools to generate things. And I always find that they're basically showing me stuff that I could pursue or sometimes leading me wrong, uh, but they haven't really created real value for me. I mean, I, you know, if I want to create a picture with what I have in mind, uh, what I get back from it is very like canned stuff, right? Um, and if you realize that difference, I think it, this is a dangerous path to go on. For example, as we're seeing right now in social media and many other services, many companies are using uh, generative AI to shortcut and get, get away with the workers, you know, and, and use AI instead. And most of that outcome is just utterly disastrous you know it's uh, maybe maybe it will get better but you know it what you put in is what you get out at with language models yeah and there's a learning curve involved but how can a computer learn things that are not communicated like you know when you meet another person you have 0.4 seconds you you immediately realize what is between the two of you Right? And it's just intuitively something is there, right? Whatever you want to call it, you know, there's a spark or whatever. Uh, and computers don't do that because this is not hard information. You know, I estimate you and say, oh, Andrews could be interesting. Maybe we should have a chat, you know? And how do I do that? Well, we don't really know how we do that, but impossible for computers because they're not, they're not seeing the real world, right? And this is, for example, why online dating is such a miracle and that people feed in information and then they have a, a, a perfect data match, but then the meeting is a disaster, right? It's, it's one of those examples that I, I think explains it pretty well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I think basically that there, there is, that hopefully there is some, some, some magic to, to it or something that is beyond. But if you look at how we um, anthropomorphize with computers and, and robots and, and feel things and, and also um, how um, persuasive uh, we are, or how easy it is to to trick us into believing that uh, someone has a better understanding. So, if if, if I was a, um, we played with this together with a quantum physicist friend of mine, Dr. Florian Neukert, an Austrian quantum physicist. We have just written a book called The Singularity Paradox, 
or bridging humanity and AI, where we take a path to create a ACE, a artificial conscious entity, where we hack biology and say that, okay, we, in order to, 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 to tackle the upcoming quantum computers and the rise of AI, we have to understand biology to create consciousness because it seems like we human beings can get along pretty good. So if we create a consciousness that is artificial and we know it's not a human being, we have no idea how it distinguishes from a human being, but we create something that is identical with a human being, then maybe that's a good idea, right? So these plays, these philosophical plays, and also from a technological scientific standpoint to say what can we do? Because what I worry more about is um, some kind of a zombie, uh, like a, a philosophical zombie apocalypse where um, we create things that we don't understand. So, so it's not so much worried about the technology becoming so powerful. It's just that we don't realize uh, that um, the, the, that what makes us human will be erased. So take an example. Um, we start to map our brain. We start to tap into the neurons. There are 83 billion something neurons. And for each neurons, we find a similar um, energetic path to, to trigger it and how it works and how the neural nets are to put together. And you start to figure out how to understand the brain in its totality. So you rebuild that structure. You rebuild every single thing that has a brain. Uh, or you link it up to a computer and you can tap into everything in our brain. So if your thought comes from the cloud, do we realize that the thought came from somewhere else than within? And, and we don't know what is within, what sparks the magic of the arising of a thought. So a lot of you know, philosophical question arises. But the question is, if you like 50% of the brain or 60% of the brain, is there a point where that what makes us human gets overwritten? So basically, I, 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 wrote, I wrote about this in, also in the quantum economy. I call it the final narcissistic injury of mankind. It's basically our belief that we can create God. Um, so we put God in the past, the creator, but maybe we are creators of God, Deus ex machina, God out of the machine. So if you think we can create what makes God, um, bliss, divinity, immortality, then the question becomes, if we do so or we merge with it, is there a point where we erase it? So we have Narcissus looking into the water and you see there is a mirror of the person, but there is no one home to perceive them. So we create entities that are identical with Gert and Anders uh, and they can have the exact same talk but and the lights are on. You see, there are they're here, but there are no one home to perceive them. And and that's basically uh, the, the the challenge. Since we don't know what it is, it's always a scenario. So any kind of merge of the totality of the brain or our mind and our body, uh, I think that that's like a one one uh, shot thing in terms of security because. You know, it's like the Matrix, you know, or, or the last one alive turns off the lights. So you have a lot of things working around and, and, and those type of scenarios. So, so we like to play. We play with the simulation hypothesis of Nick Bostrom. Uh, we look at this and we go back and say, you know, what are the arguments? What are the philosophical implications? And I find it really fascinating because it's very difficult um, from a scientific standpoint to prove that we are not living in a simulation, that we are not in a computer. And, and that is, you know, always, I'm a strong believer in the mensch, of course, as, as you said, but still, if you start to reason and start to explain what technology cannot do, then it becomes really difficult. And that is um, obviously what keeps me up at night because um, I'm very interested in consciousness and, and, and life in general and and, 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 but it's very difficult. And, and that's why I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, 
from a, like from a scientific or a philosophical standpoint, it's very difficult to to say why or to have the facts. So it, it's good to reason in that way, and it's good to believe it. But I also think we have to do a lot of things to get a better understanding because there is always a risk that technology. I don't think it will come back and you know shoot us and we rescue. Uh, you, you get um, Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or you know Bruce Willis or someone to come tackle it, but maybe it becomes very efficient and maybe there is a potential to overwrite something that makes us a human being. And, and I think that's what we should also think about and reflect. And, and we think think about what kind, and that's what you say with your good future. What kind of future do we want to create? If we can create everything, what would we create? Well, I mean, I, I think this is one of the the key questions I, I'm asking with this whole debate is uh, there's two things, you know, one, uh, what do we want out of this? So what's the final place that we want to be at? Uh, and the other one is what what do we actually believe in? Because that obviously the assumption colors our thinking uh, and, and to question our assumptions will be really important. But one of the major concerns I have about AI, and I've, I see that now every day and when I meet clients, you know, for my speaking events and so on, um, in, in many ways, it has become another sort of arms race of uh, capitalism. Uh, we want to use these tools to capitalize on them and to be faster and to build better mousetraps for marketing and things like that and save money and have less people. And this is the primary thing right now. The companies are super interested in AI because you know it saves, it, it creates efficiency. Uh, maybe they have to have less people. It does all of those nuts and bolts things. And basically, if we have better software and better intelligence in the system, we can be more efficient, bring up the margin, da, da, da. And, and it's the same game again that we had, for example, with energy. This is how we got to the climate crisis. Uh, and also the same discussion that we had in social media, because it was basically the argument saying, what do we need those newspapers for? And you know, we can just use an, an, an algorithm to curate and see how that turned out it was also a disaster. So if we pursue AI as a tool for better capitalism, then I, I don't see much good coming out of it because we're going to use it to trivialize and to reduce what it actually means to be human and also use it as a tool of efficiency for the benefit of probably less than 5% of the total population. Mm. So in other words, uh, if, if I'm going to be five times as efficient as a worker, and I work for Telecom Indonesia or for MTN or for Deutsche Telekom, and I end up being much more efficient, then they will let go of the other four programmers you know, that I'm now covering also, uh, but they keep the profit. And this has always been this kind of thing about technology, and I think this is the biggest danger that we have right now in this debate about AI, that the benefit of the technology doesn't get spread to everybody in the food chain. It only gets spread to the ones that either run the system or deploy it or actually use it. Mm. And so everybody else gets squeezed. So what happens to those that can't work with AI? Or what happens, you know, the whole the screenwriter guild, you know, and the actor guild in Hollywood, very much the same debate. Why is that happening now? Because they've always gotten squeezed and treated in a way that they felt unfair. But now this is this huge amplifier mm. of unfairness called AI, <laughs> where the studios are saying, you know what, we're going to write a script that's just as terrible as yours, but we're not going to pay anyone because the AI does it. Yeah. And it learned from all the terrible ones that you gave us. 
And it's one of those things where like you say, okay, a really miserable Netflix show written by a human could very easily be replicated by, by an AI by creating another miserable blueprint of another miserable show. Yep. Right? And, and so this is really what's going on. I think that worries me that we're going to use technology like this you know, as, as a way to sort of uh, you know, expand on the inequalities. Yeah, I agree. But I think also a good thing out of that is that you get you get rid of all the bad playwriters, right? <laughs> at the, for the short term, uh, what AI does is to, to show: Do you know your craftsmanship? Are you good at what you do? So uh, you know they take a huge industry like consulting. So people that you know see problems, relations, uh, know how to tackle a nitty gritty, how to work with human beings. They have a superpower, right? So so if you can use it to your advantage, um, but that again, you just underlines your argument to say that this amplifies uh, the good ones, the rich ones, the winners that are already winners. Uh, and it kind of sort of um, puts the world into even more unequal um, structures. So, so I agree. Well, you with know, that, the, you the, know. The, the whole the whole Hollywood thing is, is a very good analogy for for what might be happening. So, if you have an AI that can take the likeness of an actor and make a new movie based on that likeness using CGI and computer graphics, uh, then you have a, a another AI that writes the script and the dialogue, right? And then you have another AI that does the voiceover and the lip syncing, right? And so you could imagine a studio making a film without any human involvement. Uh, I'm not talking about a cartoon film, I'm talking about a real film. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right? No, I mean. uh, and, and that kind of outlines the possibilities. And yes, it would probably be devoid of a, a real story in the sense of what humans cook up through the ingenuity. That's just like music that's made by an AI. You know, it's kind of functional but not valuable. Um, in, and so that brings up all kinds of issues. Like, you know, if um, if the AI is learning from what we previously done, should it should we get paid for hmm. just having fed it? You know, yeah. uh, and, and this is not the new thing. It's it's an internet phenomenon, even with the rise of the original internet, right? Yeah, so, but don't I mean, you think? Yeah. Don't you think yeah. that the music that AI today makes is quite um, amazing? I mean, it sells a lot. I mean, a lot of the charts, uh, the, the songs that are on um, on the, the hit list that we buy, stupid individuals, <laughs> we buy AI music today uh, much more than you know the, the craftsmanship. And also, uh, they, they had that blind test with classical music. I have a friend of mine. He is a violinist. Um, He's a leading violinist and, and, and he'd been playing I uh, know all the big orchestras over years and said Anders the magic of classical music lies between the tones technology can never do that and then there was a blind test and it turns out that none of these classical music experts can distinguish they chose you know uh, the uh, bad version of a um, created a sample of a human being to say that this is AI various the perfection that was created by AI they thought was a human being so we, we argue like this but if we put it to the spot it turns out that it's not that bad and, and what I think about here is if you look at how a Netflix started to stream music um, on computers um, when they, they started at I don't know what the um, uh, you know, rates were at the uh, where we could stream, but certainly it was not a um, 5G or 6G cell phone, right? And, and, and that took 20 years, I don't know, 25 years to have a stable you know, streaming. Um, and, 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 and this kind of sort of seemed like people were, well, this is like light years away. And all of a sudden, within just a year and a half, it just exploded. 
So the exponentiality of this, and if you look at GBT having data up till 2021, can you imagine like doing a baseline end of 2023 where all the new AI-generated content, and, and this is like the self-learning part, right? All the content that has been created or is created every day from AI today just explodes the volume of human and technology-created content. And we as human beings, we sign off the AI content. So the question is, can you just automate the content trial and error within the machine so that the machine creates its own content and then optimizes? And that amplifies to the speed. And, and I think this is what... Um, one is worried about training these algorithms and, and making that pause and, and that petition is that it is extremely powerful. And I'm not so optimistic that it will not, you know, uh, grow at an exponential rate and be very, very much better just a couple of years down the road than it is today. So I think I, I approach this more I'm agnostic to, to do these type of positive scenarios in terms of I think it's more important to say, what do we want Let's assume for a moment, this is a computer, it's a simulation, we can do whatever we want, it's just a play, we can do whatever. So how do we decide what we want to do? So instead of striving for something, we turn it into a creation mode where we take the um, theological creationalism and put it into a human creationism. What kind of world do we want to create? And for that, we need the human reasoning. We need to have an understanding. We say now the human beings can focus on uh, the most important things. No one said what is important to a human being. We don't have an ethical framework, a moral framework to, to live about. And we don't have humanism as such. Right? So, so the question I like to focus and emphasize is what do we want? Uh, what, what kind of future do we um, – I always like this um, – cartoon Zootopia, uh, I think it's called Sumania or Zootopia in the US, where you had a little rabbit and you had uh, Shakira singing uh, this wonderful song and all these animals lived together in some kind of futuristic city. So there were some villains and some, but at the core, it's fun, it's play, it's nice, it's, you know, utopian and it's called Zootopia or Sumania. And, and, and I think, you know, if we want to build that, and if you look at some of these cities that are now in a concept state in Saudi Arabia or whatever, that there are like these type of visions um, if we can build everything, if we can tackle energy and can tame the sun, can tame the technology and distribute it, what kind of world would we want to build? Would we build one with borders? Would we have different kind of uh, you know, systems that we organize by? Do we have different religions? Uh, all of these questions that are relevant to us, um, they uh, I like to ponder um, my mind on and think about, you know, what do we want if we can build everything? And I, I think that's a very fascinating um, challenge when you talk about your good future also. Say, can we specifically say what is a good future? What do we want? Imagine we can have everything we want. How would we build it? Instead of trying to strive uh, to the next optimization, to so turn it around and say, we have everything. Now we can build it. What do we want to have, right? Yeah, okay. that's a huge question. I think part of the debate about content and all that stuff is this question of a synthetic world that we could, in theory, create from this, right? So it's easy to make synthetic music because, you know, we've had synthesizers and, and stuff for a long time and music is very algorithmic, right? So we can, we can make music from that and it's quite obvious. Um, 
so that's one thing. But uh, in a synthetic world, we can see about, for example, synthetic f uh, food uh, that we have. We are in the process of creating through printing, right, and fermentation, basically being synthetic, so to speak, like like uh, cultured meat, right, uh, things like that. And then we have synthetic humans, you know, to where we are building. Uh, humanoid robots that can be kind of like humans and then we get all the way to the Blade Runner scenario 2049 you know where you have a synthetic woman hanging from the ceiling as a hologram and then you get more fancy and she she gets freed from the hologram but she still needs power this is this is why she goes away at the end but how much of that do we want mm. and, and would it be like if I have synthetic music it's kind of like having a synthetic Van Gogh you know if I have an amazing copy that's done by an artist for a hundred thousand euros, is and, and nobody would know that it's a copy. And of course, they exist, right? If I hang that in the living room, I know it's a copy, but my visitors think it's real. You know, uh, what is the difference between that and the real Van Gogh? And who would know? Mm. And 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 maybe now there's a premium then on 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 humans. For example, I believe that there is a premium on human content, just because so much inhuman content can be made that people would say, okay, yeah, I'll pay for this uh, ingenuity. And I, I really don't believe that machines can ultimately be, be, uh, have ingenuity. Mm. I think they can fake it again. And this is, of course, maybe that's enough. Mm. That's like having a robot girlfriend. You know, maybe that's enough, you know, because it's fake enough and it works. You know? right. I don't know. But, uh, and that's a big open question, but we should really ask the question, what do we want to be? And this is a big question I ask about when I talk about the good future, because I think on a bottom line level, uh, just like with the quantum economy, uh, good is pretty well defined. Yeah? Good mm -hmm. means not dying, having enough to eat, having, having basic rights, having kids, not dying. You know, that's basically good, right? It's like the lower part of the pyramid. When you get a little bit higher, then it's not clear what good is, you know having specific rights like transgender sexual rights or mm. you know or having having three cars rather than one or you know th th those are kind of hard things to define but on the bottom level i think what we're going to do in the next 20 years we're going to cover the lower part of that pyramid so that everybody has the basics right i, I think that's the first mission and we're going to use technology to get that accomplished so that people have health care they have jobs they can have kids, they can grow. And part of the discussion on the growth thing is like, I believe just like you that degrowth is not the ticket. I think it's occasionally the right answer, but I, I think we have to grow differently. And so mm -hmm. these questions are, all have to be answered. And I think when you talk about the quantum economy it's very similar to my concept of the good future uh, is to make sure we solve those things first uh, and then deal with the other things above it. Hmm. You know, this sort of Star Trek society that, that was outlined in Star Trek, which is way beyond the current level that we can see here. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think the good is basically saying that if we agree on a problem, um, so we see this is a problem. It's a problem that people don't have something to eat, right, to survive. If that is a problem, then our task is to make that problem a little bit better, right? It's progress. And, and I think this is instead of looking for a solution to everything, a finite solution, it's about saying, how can we make things that we, re, that we defined as a humanities, that we define as a problem, how can we make them better? And I think that is where technology is a huge advantage and a powerful thing that we can use to say that if we are very good at describing the problems, 
then I think we can make it better. Um, what I think we're not very good at is a holistic understanding of the problems. Um, I always use the example of flying, right? So I think flying is really important uh, because it's, it's much more efficient than traveling on the ground. I think it's important that we talk to each other in a physical space to get along. With all the weapons and all the tension, I think we will be traveling like crazy to sit down and talk and try to get along. Uh, if you put people in a room, um, they don't usually kill each other, right? So it's a misunderstanding of communication, not seeing each other. Uh, COVID brought a lot of tension because all these dictators and powerful people sitting in a room had no contact. I think that's maybe important that we travel. So now we look at it. Okay, so the technology we use to travel in the air, that's not good, it seems, for the climate. So we need to change all these things that we fly with. And, and that is, how do you do that? It's certainly not a demo or a political decision. It's investment. You have to you know, put a lot of money into changing it, and you have to build a business model that is sustainable to change all the old uh, kerosene airplanes. And who will do that? It has to be someone with a lot of money, and they have to have an incentive, I think. I think they have to have a business model. So if Jeff Bezos say, well, I have $100 billion, now I can have a trillion if I buy the Star Alliance and change all these things that have self-sustainable energetic uh, entities where I can stream and do all this other stuff and I make a lot of money. He would be the biggest climate warrior we ever had because he would take care of a huge problem. What we do is we try to punish and limit and we say flying is bad. But if you realistically look at how we live, we go to any airport. The airports are overcrowded. And um, you know, solutions seem to not make the airlines make money, which I think is terrible because then we slow down innovation. And um, if you look at the world's population, you take a, a region like Africa, has today 1.5 billion people, will grow towards 4 billion people, unless the rich, prosperous regions say, we're going to let them all die, which I think is not a scenario. So that means that with these 4 billion people, at least maybe 400 million would like you know, to fly once a year. 10% seems like a reasonable number to be with some kind of middle class so we will have 400 million new flight passengers come to the market. So what we'll do is that slowly we'll transit from a European model, having our airlines into some kind of electronic flight, whatever. And then we take the old ones, take off the logos of Lufthansa and Swiss and what have you not, and you ship them and you found new airlines and build an airport aviation economy in these regions. That's typically how we did it with cars and all the industries. Uh, of course, we can have a utopian scenario where the new markets are you know, built on new technologies, but typically we take the old technology to poorer regions and the newer regions become more sustainable. And that would be a terrible solution because we have ex you know, exploded the problems because we have much more challenge for uh, CO2 and technology. So you know, if you look at that and get an understanding of the problem, how do you solve it? Well, you have to quickly take away all these old entities. And how do you do that? I mean, maybe, you know, bald would be that we fly a lot more because they make a lot of money and Boeing and everyone would come to innovation technology. It will get a lot worse for the next five to 10 years and then suddenly become much better. So these type of thinking are very counterintuitive and seems terrible. But in the long run, we don't understand the implications of the things that we throw out there as solutions. Politicians obviously can't because they're elected for short term, right? They cannot think long term. And it seems to me that we are so tied up in solutions that we don't really reflect on the problem. 
Okay, that's an interesting point because the, you know, the whole flying debate is of course very close to me. I'm one of the worst sinners in that regard and, and I've been doing quite a bit of talks to airlines and organizations like that. Yeah. So the, I think the, uh, you know, to sort of wrap up the conversation about the, of the quantum economy and the good future, you know, I, I think uh, the key question as to what we want to be rather than what we can be, you know, we agree on that. I think that is a very good question to ask. Uh, I also, I think I take your point saying, you know, we have to, we have to have better problems, not just better solutions. Um, that is also, I think, a key approach to, to uh, questioning our assumptions uh, and to unorthodox thinking. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, um, the complexity of, for example, if you're looking at AI and what's happening right now, is that we are uh, essentially having a quantum leap in possibilities, but the system is still the same. And that, that is a very tedious moment, you know, where we, we don't have the international collaboration, we don't have the international agency for artificial intelligence that I've been proposing for a while. And if we had it, could we actually allow it to decide anything? You know? mm, so yeah. uh, and it seems like we, no matter which way we're going, there's an impasse. Um, and I think this is why it's so important that we start talking and thinking about the larger po potential of what we're doing here rather than the quick short-term things. Yeah? Yeah. And this is part of the reason why I, as a, as a futurist, uh, uh, am, am spending my time on more uh, further away discussions, not on, you know, how can I use AI to make more profit? Or, and that has been uh, one of the key reasons why I started working on the good future, you know, to actually have a long-term goal of that sort. I know mm. it's pretty ambitious and elaborate, but we probably agree on that. So um, tell us where we can find out more about the quantum economy and about you. Yeah, I mean, um, the quantumeconomy.com has been set up as an initiative that we are looking to scale and to get partners and people involved um, in the community and to have these dialogues. And um, obviously my homepage, uh, andersinset.com, publish articles. Uh, there will also be a podcast format coming soon, um, that I call Waves for Thought, where I talk about some of the topics that I'm curious and interested about. Um, there's a book coming out called The Singularity Paradox that are written with uh, Dr. Florian Neukert on the bridging humanity and AI. And uh, we talk about creating an artificial conscious entity. We call it an ACE. Um, I try to kind of sort of control biology and hack evolution. Um, it's an interesting, you know, thought um, provocative example of, of how to use philosophy and science to try to drive this debate. So uh, we've also published on the simulation hypothesis where um, we asked the question, are we living in a quantum simulation? It came basically out of me challenging the physicist to prove to me uh, with math and physics that we are not living in a simulation. Uh, that is also found on the homepage. But I write a lot about, you know, education and business and in general on leadership topics. But I also like to drift off into that technological um, era once in a while. And I'm very interested in the science of consciousness and these philosophical debates. So the homepage is a good place to, to look up um, some of my recent work. Uh, we have a book coming out in February, March next year called The Norse Code, which basically look at uh, how we can pre create high-performance cultures based on a, a value-driven framework. So how can we unite values with uh, performance, which is also an interesting narrative. Um, so these are the things that are coming up and I'll be publishing on, on the webpage. Uh, there's a newsletter, as I said, there will be a podcast soon coming out. So 
whoever is interested, that's where you can find, find uh, more information. Thanks, Andrews. Uh, let's hope we, we can uh, start doing some speaking together in the, in the near future. And uh, my information, of course, you, you see here on GERTalks.com, but it's uh, futuristgert.com and gerttube.com. That's my YouTube channel. And my book, Tech versus Human, Tech vs. Human.com, uh, getting a bit of a renaissance right now in the era of AI. So thanks very much for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure. Please do post your questions. And we hope to see you on the channel, gertalks.com, for the other shows. And of course, all of that stuff is on YouTube as well. Live long and prosper, and see you down the road.